2: All right. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Today, we'll be talking about all the latest sports media news. But before we get to that, don't forget to sign up for the Sports Media Watch podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's go ahead and jump into the uh, biggest topics of the week, starting with the NBA. And uh, the NBA's momentum has gone very much into reverse. Uh, this has been a, uh, a special postseason for the NBA so far. Tremendous ratings throughout the first two rounds. Golden State against Sacramento, Game 7. Most-watched first-round game since 99. Uh, most-watched second-round series since 1996 with Lakers Warriors. And even the conference finals, the Lakers Nuggets series. I haven't seen the final average yet, but that seems likely to be the most-watched conference final in five years. Not the same kind of a decade-plus high that... Uh, that we saw earlier in the postseason, but nonetheless, I mean, uh, another superlative. But the good times seem likely to end here, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. So let's talk a little bit first about just the reality of the matchup that we're probably going to get in the finals. Denver is already there. We're taping Tuesday evening. Miami will probably advance past Boston tonight. You never know. Maybe the Celtics hit a couple of games to make it interesting, but more than likely, you have Miami-Denver. On the list of finals matchups at the start of the postseason, probably at the very bottom ahead only of uh, maybe Milwaukee, Denver. Uh, The Miami Heat in this era, the Jimmy Butler era, just have never been a tremendous draw. Most of their games this postseason have declined from the equivalent windows last year. And even last year, they really did not draw well. And of course, they were in the least-watched finals of all time, with the obvious caveat of the bubble, the NFL competition, and the fact that Trump was in the hospital, right? A lot of things made that 2020 finals low-rated, but certainly Miami was in that. Uh, And uh, the Heat just have not shown that they resonate with the national audience in the Butler era. Denver is also a team that does not really draw well. Now, of course, they drew well in the conference finals. That's mainly because the Lakers were their opponent. I don't really think Denver had a lot to do with the viewership for that series being as good as it was. But, you know, hey, the Lakers played Memphis in the first round, and the viewership for that series was never overwhelmingly impressive So just because you have the Lakers there doesn't mean it's going to do as well as it did. So maybe there's a little bit of something there, some interest in Denver. And Jokic, a two-time MVP, Jamal Murray as well. Denver, by the way, not a small market. Miami, not a small market. Memphis is a small market. Denver and Miami are not. The reality of the matter is it's not an objectively horrible matchup, but is it going to be close? Is it going to be good? And that's really where this, this... Becomes a problem for the league because Denver just beat the Lakers in four games. That series was really doing well. People were interested in it. Too bad there's not a game five, game six, or game seven. I don't think there's going to be that level of interest in a Heat Nuggets finals. And more importantly, I don't think there's going to be a close enough series result to get to that five, six, and seven. The reality of the matter is Miami has never really drawn well, but they're the eight seed. They're trying to pull off what would be a very rare occasion in the NBA a true upset, right? No no seed lower than six. Houston in 95 has ever won a title. And when Houston did that, they were the defending NBA champions, right? If Miami could pull this off, make it a series and have a real shot, I actually think that there could be some casual viewership for that. But do we realistically think that Miami is going to have that opportunity going up against Nikola Jokic? The thing that I use kind of as my guide is the Lakers pretty comfortably beat the Golden State Warriors, the defending NBA champs in the second round and then got swept by Denver, right? You know, and, and to me, the competition the Lakers faced before getting swept by Denver is, you know, at least comparable to the competition Miami's faced. I mean, Milwaukee clearly was not what we thought. Boston clearly is not what we thought. And that's no disrespect to the Heat. I mean, I felt that way bit about uh, Milwaukee when they lost by 40-something points to Boston in the regular season. And I felt that way about uh, Boston watching them against Philly. But those teams just, you know, weren't very formidable. I wonder if the Heat can really make it a series against Denver. That's going to be the key. So what does all that mean for the postseason? Is that going to mean it's going to be the least watched postseason in years? I mean, I think the NBA has banked enough viewership in those first two rounds that even this kind of rough ending at worst is going to result in the viewership being maybe slightly ahead of last year or slightly below. Uh, I think that's the worst case is kind of pulling even with a year ago and if you put a slight gain in over last year that's a five year high most watched postseason in five years so the league still has a positive story to tell but the idea of this postseason being some kind of historic high and that's out the window more than anything though the problem isn't even the matchup of miami and denver it's the length of the series this conference finals the lakers nuggets will probably end up being the most watched conference final since 2018 in just four games, but it's only going to contribute four games to the overall average, right? So the conference final sits around. If Miami wins tonight, will only contribute eight games to the average in 2018, both series went seven. You had 14 games. Even last year, you had 12 games. The least watched conference final is still going to get numbers that exceed the first two rounds. So when you end up with, with a postseason where you have you know, four fewer conference final level audiences than you did a year ago, that's, that's rough. The lucky thing for the NBA is they had six conference final level audiences in the second round. And they had one in the first round with game seven between Golden State and Sacramento. So in a postseason where you have two four game sweeps in Denver, Miami, and you end up pulling even with last year, that's pretty good. And that just goes to show just how strong this playoffs was up until the last uh, week or so I'm going to go ahead and bring in drew now.
3: Yeah, definitely. You know, you laid out a lot of good points there, John, and uh, it's been a lot of give and take. It seems like now with the NBA, right? Um, They they got some of the dream scenarios in the first couple of rounds, really strong viewership numbers. Now they get possibly they get the minimum amount of games in the conference finals. I mean, eight out of a possible 14 games. That's you know, I don't know how many times that has happened in NBA history, but that's really not a way to build momentum towards the finals, especially when you consider the matchup, right? The big thing that stands out to me, if this game tonight actually does end up in the heat's favor and it, and it becomes a sweep, is the, the large gap between when the conference finals are going to end and the finals are going to begin, right? We're going to have an eight-day gap should both conference finals end in a sweep and that's a long time in sports media world that means you're out of the the news cycle so to say in two or three days especially when you have a less than enticing matchup to look forward to right as you pretty well laid out there denver's been a step above this year they, they've been a, a class above the rest and you know I think it's a shame that the Lakers weren't, weren't able to get a game off of them because they did actually play them pretty close but even in those close games they they looked outclassed, right and it, it kind of felt inevitable right And you never really felt like they had a real shot at taking the series um it was more just fighting to, to extend the series so um if if this actually plays out as as we believe and you know Denver kind of works, you know, Miami in a in a final, it's 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 gonna be a a different narrative for the NBA, one much different than they thought after the first two rounds.
2: Well, I mean, I think it just comes down to the reality of sports television ratings. Matchups matter. And no league is as strong as its best matchup or as weak as its worst one. Right. So you know the NBA ultimately I think comes out of this postseason pretty much the way it came in. We know that the Warriors and Lakers draw. We know that there are other teams that don't draw. We don't know yet. Maybe Denver picked up a few extra fans in this uh, conference finals. I mean, it's kind of like with Warriors Kings. We, the Kings played a role there, you know, and it was easier with Warriors Kings because the Warriors were in the first round. Those Warriors Kings windows were all in the exact same windows that Warriors Nuggets was in the previous year. So, you could see, hey, Golden State is a common thing across both of these windows. Sacramento has to be bringing something to it, right uh It's a little bit harder to make that you know comparison now, Of course, the Lakers and Nuggets spent the conference finals in the bubble. We're not even gonna you know that's that's certainly not useful in this in this comparison. I don't know that denver was the big factor here but i have to imagine that when you have an audience of seven and eight million viewers that some people are tuning in for the opponent i think for the finals the floor is probably Bucks suns in 21 milwaukee phoenix denver in this case being like milwaukee denver is not a small market it's not a top 10 market or anything but it's not a small market there's uh 1.7 million tv homes in denver you compare that to milwaukee milwaukee doesn't even have a million, it's 900,000. So right away, you're pretty much doubling the market size there. Phoenix is a uh, pretty uh, high-ranking market, number 11. Don't know where it ranked in 21, but probably the same area. So it's right outside of the top 10. It's bigger than Denver or Miami. But, uh, you know, Phoenix also was a very unfamiliar quantity when they made the finals in 21. Their first playoffs in 10 years. Devin Booker was a non-entity to the overwhelming majority of, of fans and viewers. He had never played a playoff game. He was uh, playing in complete obscurity. His his level, I mean, I think he had maybe been on the cover of 2K at one point, which doesn't make any sense because they hadn't done anything. But uh, he, he just had a very low profile. You know, Chris Paul was on that team. Chris Paul is a famous player. But ultimately, what Miami brings with Jimmy Butler, it all depends on whether or not The rest of the country cares about this playoff Jimmy thing. It's been a tremendous run. Jimmy Butler, his first set of playoff heroics really were games three and five of the finals in the bubble. Those are the first times you were like, okay, this guy has a different gear than we thought. Because when they made the finals in the bubble and, you know, people love to diminish any accomplishment that LeBron has, right? So it's like, oh, well, he only beat the Miami Heat. They aren't any good. And people kind of clung to this idea that the Miami Heat aren't any good for this whole time. Even when they had the number one seed last year, so they aren't any good. They're one three-point shot away from the finals. This year, they're an eight seed. They deservingly were viewed as not very good. But Butler, again, with the heroics, if that resonates with people, if people are saying, I want to see what Jimmy Butler can do next, then this finals can do okay. But they haven't done that yet. I see no evidence yet of there being any kind of, whoa, we got to tune into Jimmy Butler here. We got to see this guy. I haven't seen anything like that yet in the viewership.
3: Sometimes I wonder whether or not the NBA has kind of, or maybe NBA is not the proper way to put this, but the NBA media complex, the greater media space that the NBA sits in, has just done a poor job of marketing that Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker level of superstar, because in my opinion, I mean, you know, they've hung on to the LeBron James Kevin Durant, Steph Curry storylines. And those guys are all on the back ends of their career. And maybe those guys have sucked up a lot of the air that Jimmy Butler, Devin Booker, John Morant, you know, Giannis, Jokic, all these players that are currently in their prime should be taking up in the media space, but, but we just haven't heard as much about them.
2: Well, you know, the NBA is in kind of the same place it was in the late nineties, jordan was there papering over all the problems the league was having with its new crop of stars there were multiple jama back then and granted you look back at like 90 percent of the time their crimes were like they had marijuana on their person it was the 90s right but you know the league was having trouble with its young stars and so all the big stars in the league in 98 and 99 and 2000 it wasn't it wasn't until 2001 That the kind of two thousands era NBA star Iverson and Vince Carter broke through because you know you can't even say Kobe was a two thousands era star. I mean he was, but he was playing you know in the Forum wearing the Magic Johnson era Laker jerseys. Okay, I mean you know his career began way way before uh, we really think. We we don't think of him that way. But Kobe and Shaq played for the Lakers the same year Magic Johnson did in nineteen ninety six. So. That It took until about 2001 before that 2000s era athlete broke through. And for pretty much the entire back half of the 90s, it was all these 30-somethings, Jordan, Reggie, Charles, all of these guys were at the end of their careers. And the league really suffered for a really long time after not just Jordan's retirement, but as that era came to a close uh, and, and viewership really fell off. Certainly, when they did the TV deal to go mostly to cable, uh, the NBA is in a bit of a dangerous spot. LeBron has indicated he that he might retire. Um, do we believe that LeBron will really retire? I suspect that LeBron was kind of just feeling a certain way, losing in the playoffs. It had been a long time since LeBron had made a really deep run in the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, three years certainly since the bubble, and the bubble is so different. Realistically, we're talking five years, right? Because the bubble. That's not a normal, you know, that's a whole different thing in terms of trapped in a hotel room, you can't see your family. But just like a normal, exhausting playoff run with all the travel, too, he hasn't been on in a while. And How do we know that he's just trying to get leverage? Do we really think LeBron James is going to pretend that he wants to retire so the Lakers pick up Kyrie? I mean, I'm going to have a little bit more respect for LeBron's basketball IQ than that. Uh, he might actually, as a 38-year-old man with a torn tendon in his foot, who scored 40 points yesterday and, you know, ended up on the losing side, he might just decide, you know what, I have better things to do with my time, which he literally does. He's a billionaire and he's 38 years old. 38 is ancient for an NBA player. It's pretty darn young for a billionaire. Usually they're 83. So for LeBron, he might retire. What happens if he retires? Well, then you got to put all your eggs into Steph Curry basket. And for the first time, they didn't make the finals under Steve Kerr. They're clearly on the downside unless they do some, you know, something new. Uh, and Steph is 35 years old. He plays a different style of basketball than LeBron. So you, conceivably, he'd be around another, maybe even six years. You know, who knows? Or he might not be, right? And 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 what happens if they get hurt again? What if it happens if he he starts to have the same kind of circumstances LeBron has had, where LeBron turned 35 and injury after injury after injury, right? What happens if that happens to Steph? And do you have any backups? Because I don't think Tatum and Brown are that in Boston. What is your backup plan without the 38 year old LeBron James and the 35 uh, year old Stephen Curry? Is it uh, Victor from Benyana?
3: Yeah, yeah, he goes by the name of Victor there.
2: Um, I don't know. He hasn't, he, I don't know.
3: He hasn't played a, a single game in the NBA, but I mean, yeah. it would be a little bit poetic if LeBron did actually end up retiring and Wemby comes in and, you know, yeah. takes the torch. But, uh, you know, it would have to be some sort of monumental shift like that, right? Because yeah. um, otherwise it, it's, it'll have to happen organically, like you said, in the, in the 80s and 90s.
2: But here's the problem. You're right. The NBA media complex doesn't know how to market these stars. And I'll tell you something else. Name an NBA star and above the fold name that most people in this country know, name one who was drafted when Adam Silver was the commissioner. Right?
4: Yeah. Even Giannis, I, I, yeah. He, was,
2: he's really the closest, right? Yeah. But Giannis, David Stern was a commissioner. You can go back and look when Giannis was drafted. It's David Stern yeah. saying the Bucks. Right.
3: Giannis. He, was, he was a baby when he was drafted.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Adam Silver is simply not as good as David Stern at marketing. He's, you know, he's not as good as David Stern in a lot of ways. I'm not trying to be insulting toward him. It's true, you know, um, And and certainly the NBA can't create stars the way that it used to
3: who it should be is zion williamson but well, it, yeah. that hasn't panned out right that yeah. he did have that name recognition the above the he fold did. name recognition and, and that's kind of been squandered in the last couple of years but um yeah. that that could be brought back if if he becomes the the player that everyone thought he could be
2: yeah hey, one of the great jokes lately is uh Woj, who uh whoa Woja saying that Victor Wembanyama was like the most hyped prospect of all time. And it's like, get out of here. You don't even believe the words that are coming out of your own mouth. One, LeBron is more hyped. And two, Zion was more hyped. Maybe among scouts, maybe among people who live and breathe the game of basketball, right? But if we're talking about from a media point of view, Wembanyama, I don't think there's enough where... The viewership is going to be huge for his first game. I think there's a curiosity factor, but it's a curiosity factor that does not go beyond basketball fans. I guess the other way of putting it is ask an older relative who doesn't watch sports who Victor Wembanyama is, and they probably aren't going to know. Well, they would have known who LeBron was, absolutely. And they probably would have known who Zion was, too. Well, maybe not with Zion, but I think so.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he, the Duke brand behind him. Yeah, it, with exactly. Victor, you're, you're running into the Euro problem again, right? So it, the unfamiliarity there. Do you have any closing thoughts on the NBA before moving on to other topics?
2: Well, you know, the NBA is at a crossroads here. Because is the league really strong? Or is the league coasting off of LeBron and Steph? And if the league is coasting off of LeBron and Steph, what in the world are the chances that they're going to get another postseason where both LeBron and Steph are in the playoffs, where they both win a series, where they play each other, and where one goes on to the conference finals. When is that going to happen again? Because you could talk about the bad luck of getting two, four-game sweeps in the conference finals and the Denver-Miami finals. That is bad luck. But the NBA had some pretty difficult-to-reproduce good luck earlier in this playoffs, because it's not 2015 anymore. LeBron and Steph are not going to be, you know battling very often again they may not ever battle again in the playoffs they may not ever battle again period if lebron is actually serious about retiring so is the nba ready to move forward to something bigger and the real question is does the nba have the capability even if it wanted to to market these other stars is the nba big enough you you know i uh i think the nba should watch a little nascar right and uh the reason I say that is not, is it's not going to be complimentary to NASCAR. The biggest star in NASCAR is somebody who I've never seen. I don't, I imagine you've probably never seen him. I think most of us have never seen this guy. His name is Chase Elliott. NASCAR used to be able to make its stars known to people who don't watch the race. That's not the case anymore because I have no idea who Chase Elliott is, really. I know he's the son of Bill Elliott. He's the most popular driver in the sport, but I would recognize Kevin Harvick if I saw him in his track suit anyway. I mean, that's probably what it would have to be. It'd have to be this track suit. But Chase Elliott in his track suit, I would still have to search my mind to figure out what his name was. And that's the scary thing if you're the NBA, because that might not be a NASCAR problem. That might just be the way things are in this fragmented society. Where you're not going to be able to just get people to know your guys by osmosis. You know how I learned a lot about every sport was SportsCenter. You would watch SportsCenter every day. And so even if you didn't care about a sport, you knew about the people who were participating in it, right? You knew all of these various names that just flew into your brain in one ear and out the other, but a little bit of residue, right? A little bit left behind where you recognize that name when you hear it people don't want sports center anymore it won a sports semi this week sports center i don't know i mean i i assume they must be doing a great job i can't tell you from personal experience right so um that could be a problem for the league because the lebron era is nearly done which is amazing to say about a guy who just scored 40 points but he's 38 years old he's got a torn tendon in his foot and he's talking about retiring his era is nearly done Steph Curry's era, it has a few more years on it, but that's not going to be, you know, forever either. Kevin Durant's era is also pretty much done. Durant, after that foot on the line against, against Milwaukee, it's been all downhill. And, you know, I mean, what do you have left? I don't know. I don't know that the league is well positioned right now uh, as far as its overall popularity. No, nothing to do with the TV deal. It'll still get great money, but I don't know.
3: Uh, moving on to our next topic, John. Uh, interesting story coming out of ESPN last weekend. Pete Famill reporting that the seven-year agreements for the Big Ten deals that were reached prior to last college football season are actually experiencing some hurdles. Uh, seems to be a severe lack of communication across the board between the conference, the conference's media partners, and the Big Ten member institutions. Um, I have a lot to unpack here. Um, there are certain details about times of games that, that uh, teams did not realize that they would have to commit to. Um, Fox not getting a Big Ten title game in 2026 that they were unaware of, despite you know, having been in the room during negotiations, which we'll unpack that a little bit as well. Uh, but why don't you give us a top-line takeaway here, John, from uh, from this story?
2: Well, I think it just uh, says a lot about the Big Ten and, you know, under Kevin Warren, uh, wasn't the greatest run, I would say. I don't know how this stuff is allowed to happen. Um, one, and again, this is new information, I believe, to a lot of people who knew that all of these Big Ten rights were being sublicensed out by Fox, right? I mean, I, I would never have thought that was how it was going on. Makes sense that ESPN would have uh, parted ways with it so easily in that scenario, when information is hard to come by like that, and when there's kind of things about these contracts that are not known by the public. I mean, I'm sure those aspects are known by the by the particulars, but I mean, you know, it's an indication of how you do your business, and you don't want to be doing your business in a fashion like that. I don't necessarily think, Um, you know, to me, it doesn't seem like a massive deal from a viewership standpoint. I don't think it's going to affect much for the for the viewer. Uh, Do I think it'll affect anything for the Big Ten long term? Not really. It's just going to be maybe a little bit of a financial crunch for the teams, less money than they were anticipating and uh, probably makes them a little bit happy that Warren moved on to uh, the Bears. Because you add this to the ridiculous nonsense of their COVID return to play. And uh, this just uh, and, I mean, obviously he did great things for them. Getting to that point where they could have this deal obviously was a success, but I, I don't think there's going to be a, a lot of regret that they have new leadership.
3: This is a lot of big ticket items for for the stakeholders of this, right? We're talking about, teams that traditionally did not play primetime games having to play primetime games but not being aware of that not having that communicated to them we're talking about NBC getting granted a Big Ten title game which is arguably the biggest conference title game that you could have in college football and Fox who owned the rights to this conference game or at least owned the rights to sublicense this conference game to another network should they have wished unaware that that this was happening i mean this is just a entire communication breakdown across the board it really it it raises a lot of question marks as to what was going on in the big 10 offices during this time because it's 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 almost unbelievable that something like this could happen
2: yeah to me i think I look at what happened here and I just think the Big Ten is not run in a way that would be pleasing to network partners. And so it's a good thing if their new leadership is going to change that. Right. So that that's uh that's that's the way that I look at it.
3: Yeah. But I agree with you from a viewership standpoint, from a meteorite standpoint. These are all things that will get figured out. It's not going to impact viewership at all. And the teams they should have had some inkling that you know if you're signing a primetime tv deal with nbc even if you're ohio state penn state or michigan you're probably going to have to play some nighttime games later in the season um you know the cash has got to flow from somewhere you yeah. got to make your tv partners happy so um that seems to be a small sacrifice for the schools but just just a very interesting story and um it it won't have any long-term impacts I don't think other than you know if any relationships actually were harmed during during these negotiations
2: yeah and I mean it says again this says a lot about the Big Ten because you know there was never a press release or announcement about the the original deal that he did with Fox and ESPN years ago I mean that's weird that's not I, I can't think of too many parallels with that
3: the Big Ten is always uh always okay with some surprises it seems
2: yeah well, don't surprise your network partners. That's probably a good rule of thumb.
3: All right. One other football topic this this week, uh, this time on the pro side. Last night, Am breaking that Thursday night football would be granted flex scheduling mm-hmm. for weeks 13 through 17. Um, just a couple quick notes. Um, they will have to have about a one-month notice for flexing a game. Uh, And it can only happen a maximum of two times in a season. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on on flex scheduling for Amazon on Thursdays?
2: Well, you know, the NFL only has so many games. And eventually, all this expansion, all these extra windows, they're going to take a hit. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Because you only have so many games. And you only have so many teams that people want to watch. And what you're going to have happen is you're going to get an NFL Sunday one of these days where, you know, well, I mean, the NFL is smart enough not to let this happen, but the potential exists to get an NFL Sunday one of these days where the 1 p.m. games are all bad, you know, where, you know, you're, you're taking away from yourself. This is what the league or the partners, I should say, have always been concerned about, CBS and Fox. They were reluctant to do flex scheduling to begin with because, you know, now, all of a sudden, you've got a really good game in your one o'clock window. You don't have it anymore. You get some bad game from Sunday night and you add all these flex options Monday night now, Thursday night, and uh, the league is trying to maximize its prime time audience. That makes sense. But its most watched window is 425 p.m. And there are more viewers watching at 1 p.m. between CBS and Fox and there are on prime time any week of the season. So you know, I mean, it's a dangerous game the league is playing, particularly to boost the viewership for one of the properties that has you know they they have decided that fewer people are going to be able to watch Thursday night football. They gave it to Amazon. That was the NFL deciding that fewer people are going to be able to watch this. The NFL decided they were going to sacrifice audience for you uh, know the money. In that scenario, you don't give Amazon a good schedule. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not trying to say they, you know, you want a whole bunch of Broncos-Colts games, but to me, when you're talking about game, you're talking, basically, this is the NBA TV or MLB network package of what the NFL has. This is what NFL network really was, because that's where Thursday Night Football was for years. And I just don't know that flexing I mean, I guess really, with Thursday Night Football, it's flexing games out, not flexing games in. They're not going to say, Hey, this game looks great. Let's put it on Thursday Night Football. It's a mechanism to protect Amazon from the really, really bad games. But uh, I don't know if Thursday Night Football is worth disrupting the Sunday schedule like
0: that,
3: yeah. this move to me was surprising on on a number of levels. Um, I think first and foremost, I mean, the the NFL is usually, very diligent with these types of moves. They don't usually do too much too fast, Um, but doing the Monday night football flexing and the Thursday night football flexing in the same year was really surprising to me. With Sunday night football flex, at least you're keeping the game on the same day. With these two, two flexes, you're moving the game day, which of course impacts fans attending the games, but I don't think the NFL is they've shown that they're not too too worried about that being an issue but what i was surprised is now you know you're giving both both of these nights flex that's a lot of potential change to the schedule you know late in the season i i figured that maybe you know they would let monday night football have flex this year see how that goes and potentially down the line thursday night can get flex.
2: well Maybe they should just put a pool of games that are eligible for Thursday night, list them as TBD, like they do with the Saturday games. They always have in week 16, maybe five or six Saturday games or five or six games that are listed as TBD. Two will be on Saturday, the rest on Sunday. They make that decision later in the year. That might be a more sensible decision for Thursday night and gives you a few more options for games without, you know, disrupting the schedule of, of Fox and CBS
3: yeah i think that's a good point i i I think this seemed kind of forced to me um yeah you know they they had to push it through with a a really high bird entry you know you have to give a one month notice and how easy is it to predict what a matchup's going to look like a month in advance right unless you're getting you know two super bowl favorites to move into that slot which that's not going to happen um you know you you could move a game there a month in advance and it could end up being the worst of the two possible games right so I hope this is used uh sparingly yeah um because if um uh, if, if this becomes you know a normal thing late in the season I, I don't think it's going to be uh great for fans
2: no no it won't but the NFL could cure less as long as it continues to print money so all right, John, let's
3: do a few quick hitters here. We're going to touch on the, uh, the PGA Championship, the Preakness, and a little bit of WNBA. Um, let's start with the PGA Championship. Record low for that tournament um, for the past 15 years, I believe, in the final round. Yeah. Um, a bit surprising considering golf's really strong start this year. Mm-hmm. I was also surprised just given, you know, the leaderboard did kind of pack a punch. You had, you know, Brooks Koepka, Scotty Shaffler, McElroy was in it at the beginning of the final round, fell off, you know, Victor Hoblin, Bryson DeChambeau. So, I mean, that that's a lot of big names, about as many big names as you can hope for if, if you're, you know, the PGA of America in that scenario. So this number to me was a bit surprising. What did you think?
2: Well, I'm not surprised by it. The tournament had no juice. Um, you know, I mean, the PGA Championship made a mistake going from August to May, I think. I mean, August, you're the big fish. You're the only thing going. You're almost like a little refuge, right? Because everything in August, I mean, this year is different with the Women's World Cup, but frankly, even that, all those matches are going to be on at like three, six, nine in the morning. Uh, So even this year, had they been in August, I think they would have gotten more attention. Um, May is too busy. No one's going to prioritize the PGA Championship on a weekend with the NBA playoffs. I mean, two years ago, The PGA actually did beat the NBA head-to-head, but that was like the first weekend of the NBA playoffs because it was in May. It was later. And Phil Mickelson won the PGA at age 50. It was not a normal set of circumstances, right? So typically, I I think the PGA is going to get just completely overshadowed by the NBA and NHL playoffs. I mean, it did beat the NHL game head-to-head, but you know what I mean. Like It's just not the time of year for this. Uh, And I think August was better because beyond anything else, it's better to be a big fish in a small pond, right? Uh, and I don't think there's really enough viewership to go around with so many events going on right now for the PGA to regularly get the kind of numbers that it's used to.
3: Yeah, and, and I think the the reasoning when they did move it from August to May was that the PGA has always been kind of seen as the the lowest of the four majors, yeah. right? And it, for golf fans, it just didn't have it the juice that I guess the Masters, the U.S. Open or, or the Open would have, um, you know, in the lead up to to an August PGA Championship, right? So I think this move, you know, pleased golf fans a lot um, because, I, you know, my firsthand experience is I'm more excited for the PGA Championship, but, you know, I watch golf every week, right? I'm not the normal, Major championship golf viewer so I do agree you know I think the less competition was probably better viewership wise for the tournament
2: yeah and you know beyond anything else I don't think people really like Brooks Kepka. um I don't get the sense that he's popular I think all those live guys other than Phil were not popular were not loved guys I think the PGA folks You know, none of these guys are are overwhelmingly impressive. Spieth completely fizzled. He was supposed to be the next Tiger. Rory was supposed to be the next Tiger, too. And and they fizzled, right? They're not bad players, but they're not historic. You know, no one's going to be writing books about them in 50 years unless some weird things happen. Uh, And uh, it's kind of like with the NBA. They never developed anyone beyond Tiger and Phil. Well, Tiger's gone, and Phil's basically gone, too. So there you go.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to follow up and act like Tiger or an act like Phil. I, I would I would push back against that a little. I think golf has done a, a pretty good job at, at marketing some of their bigger players. But
2: they're all in that Devin Booker zone. Yeah. All of them. Exactly. Not, not in that above the fold, everyone in the country knows who they are. That was Tiger. Maybe not even Phil. That was really just Tiger.
3: You're yeah. right. And that's never going to happen again in, in the sport of golf. So that they have to get comfortable in the Devon Booker zone and, and, and try, try to do their best with what they got. Um, all right, let's, let's quickly touch on the, the Preakness here.
4: Yeah.
3: Another pretty poor number for, for the Preakness. Um, I mean, this race has just lost a lot of juice. If, if you're yeah, not yeah. going to get any horses from the Kentucky Derby, other than the Derby winner, um, you know, 5 million for the Preakness is not good, but what are your thoughts?
2: Oh my thoughts are the culture is changing and it's impossibly difficult to get a mass audience to tune into something. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who aren't familiar with the race even at this point. And as time goes on and the younger demographics that grew up on TikTok aged into 18 to 34 and become more and more a portion of that 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 demo, you're going to see a lot of these events. Some of these events are going to completely collapse in terms of TV viewing. Some of them are going to be gone in 15 years as a TV draw I think the Preakness is one of them
3: yeah if they want any hope they need to they need to move the date of the race I mean the the new trend in in horse racing seems to be resting your horses more which mm-hmm. hey, by all means load know, yeah it's load management has hit horse racing and if, if that's the case you know if that's how you can keep your your horse your investment um healthy you know do it but if if we're going to do that let's let's space out the Triple Crown a little more and try yeah. to get some of these same horses in these races um you know this it's pathetic that you know the only horse to race in both the Kentucky Derby and, and the Preakness was Mage who who won the Derby but anyway um I, I won't get into you know my my whole diatribe on how disgusting Pimlico is and how they need to totally revamp that venue because Seeing that in comparison to Churchill Downs is a it's a travesty, um, but I, you know I'll save that for another day.
2: <laughs> well, you make a point that might be interesting. Why do we need the Triple Crown order the way that it is? Maybe the Belmont goes second and the Preakness goes I don't know for July four weekend. I don't know. I mean, you got to stretch the races out because people are not going to try to get their horses killed. Not with so many people paying attention to how many horses are dying.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. All right, WNBA, we had some, um, I guess, now in hindsight, bold predictions on on WNBA viewership last week. Uh, It didn't pan out like we thought it would. That Phoenix-Los Angeles game, uh, the Brittany Brittany Griner debut, I won't call it the return game because I think her technical return game happened later that weekend in Phoenix, but the Brittany Griner debut in Los Angeles at 1130 PM on ESPN only drew 683,000. And I say only because we predicted or you predicted around 1.2 million. And I said it could even be higher than that. This is still a very good number in context for the WNBA, just maybe not as high as we thought. What do you
2: think, John? Well, I think Maybe a million viewers is a little unrealistic for an 11 o'clock game on cable, right? But it just felt like Brittany Griner's story was so big that people would find a way to watch it. Um, you know, some of this goes to the WNBA. ESPN never carries a game on WNBA opening night. The WNBA, for whatever reason, opens their season on a Friday night every year. I don't know why. ESPN doesn't air games on a Friday night. So they got all these conference final games that they've got. So the only time to fit it in was at 11 o'clock. This game should have been on ABC. ABC had two games on opening weekend. That's rare. And they were not even really particularly good games. Uh, one of them was Seattle getting uh, completely shown up by Las Vegas. And that game had more viewers than Brittany's return. It had 684,000 viewers because it was on a Sunday on ABC or a Saturday, Saturday. on ABC. Yeah. And Grinder's game was on a Friday night at 11. So this is all about leaving viewership on the table by making bad decisions. The NBA does it. Why shouldn't the WNBA do it too, right? But uh, th- that game, maybe they didn't think Britney would be back. But n- I mean, the schedule came out after Britney was released. So I don't know why they didn't just put that game on a Saturday afternoon on ABC. Maybe would have gotten a million there um but you know the look it's not like the WNBA did poorly by its standards it's just that what i talked about last week the ceiling has yet to be raised and uh you know who knows when it will be
3: yeah yeah i mean i i guess on on a certain level you have to be impressed that they got the number they did at 11:30 yeah. p.m on a friday i mean there's not too many people watching tv at that time right so um but that well, just goes to show that they Definitely love viewership on the table by not putting this on broadcast in a weekend afternoon.
2: ABC had Shark Tank at eight. Then at nine o'clock, they aired, I believe it was 2020, but somehow it's still on the air. Look at these atrocious numbers for 2020. 1.6 million viewers, right? And then look at the absolute awfulness in the demos, a 0.09 and 18 to 34. That's lower than anything outside of the CW on broadcast television that night. A 0.19 in 18 to 49, again lower than anything outside of the CW, and a 0.30 in even 25 to 54, the oldest skewing of the young adult demos, lower than anything other than That's My Jam, a rerun of That's My Jam on NBC. And the reason I bring all this up is because the WNBA at 11 o'clock on cable, 11:30 on cable, had a higher rating in 18 to 49, excuse me, a higher rating in 18 to 49 and 18 to 34 than did 2020. You know, the convenient thing about a WNBA game is that it lasts two hours. So easily, ABC could have fit that Brittany Griner game in at nine o'clock and gotten dramatically better ratings in 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 than they did for whatever they were doing on 2020. Maybe it was an important thing. You know, there's a lot of tragedies and horrors that happen in this country. Maybe they were covering something like that. So if they were covering something important, then I apologize, but I'm assuming they were probably just doing tabloidy stuff, which is what these news magazines tend to do, Uh, easily preemptible. And so again, leaving viewership on the table, because even if it didn't get the same 1.6 million viewers, there's no doubt in my mind, that game did outdraw 2020 in 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 already in that late night time slot on ESPN, definitely would have done a much better number at nine o'clock on ABC. Oh, well, because that's a once in a lifetime, you're not getting another Britney Griner returns from a year in a Russian prison storyline ever again. Well, Hopefully we hope not. <laughs> we
3: so. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that puts a good bow on the WNBA. Hopefully we get to see Uh, one of their games eclipsed that million mark this year.
2: um, I'm more doubtful now than I was at the start of the season, because I mean, again, I know it's a really late time slot. I know it was a 24 year high, but that's a big story. And and with a direct lead in from an overtime NHL game, I know it's a lot to ask to get to a million viewers, but you know, 800,000, I don't know. I mean, it just felt to me when I saw that number, It was understandable. Maybe it was too much to ask to get that kind of a big viewership figure in that window. But I thought, I I think I said last week when I saw the viewership for one of the Lakers Warriors games, like it did really well, but I was like, you know, that's it. Cause the game was so good. You know, you expect a little bit more. I expected a little bit more out of this one for sure.
3: Yeah. All right, John, just one more thing for me before we get going. Um, college softball continues to be a steady property for ESPN. Um, Getting a lot of games in that four hundred to five hundred thousand viewership mark, um, you know, maybe not too much growth this year year over year, but uh, still, so a very solid property for ESPN. And I just wanted to yeah. acknowledge that.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's it's very similar short windows. It's more valuable than college baseball for that reason. Sitting down watching three hours of baseball as Major League Baseball realized it's a lot to ask. College softball seven innings. Usually two-hour windows, uh, very convenient in that way, and so that that's one of the reasons why college softball, really one of the rare women's sports in college, where it seems to be, if not more popular than the men's sport, at least on par with. And I think just the fact that it doesn't ask too much of you as a viewer it plays a role there.
3: Do you have anything else before we close out the show here?
2: Um, nothing really. Uh, I did see that they fired Glenn Kuyper. Uh, I'll restate what I said before, which is. Uh, It's ridiculous, in my view. Uh, I don't think for a second that he said anything with intention. So whatever they might have found in their investigation, pending some kind of smoking gun that proves he's a racist and uses these slurs so often it popped out on the air or something like that. I I, I think it was simply what happens to everybody once in a while. They fumbled over their words, and unfortunately, it was one of the worst possible words to fumble. But um yeah, I, I thought that was uh unless there's something about Glenn Kuyper that they found that backs up the idea that he has racist intentions. Uh unless they, unless there's something like that. And uh, you know, I'm not overly confident because you know employers employers, when they're trying to fire for a cause, they will find whatever it is they want to find. Uh and uh to me, I don't know, I I, I just look at that and I say man, you gotta be careful. Cause all, there's a lot of people out there on the internet who, whenever someone does something like that, they assume intent and accidents do actually happen. I, I get back to the Andrew Wiggins thing. In general, if somebody seems to say something inexplicably that is nasty, but it's fumbled in such a way that you can't really be sure what they were intending to say, unless they have any record of offensive comments in their past, I think it's probably the smart move to default to the idea that it was a mistake. Well, uh, we talked a lot this week and we'll be back at it next week. Don't forget to subscribe to all the various places you can get the SMW podcasts, which again includes Apple, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon. Everywhere you get podcasts, you can get the SMW podcast. We'll see you back here next week. Have a good week.